what was the what was the fuck count? Oh my gosh, it was fourteen or sixteen, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we should make a point to say fuck fourteen times. <laughs> we should. We should. <laughs> we said it fourteen times. Yeah. There we go. Welcome everyone to the Madonna Get Together podcast. I'm your host Wayne, and we have a very great guest. He's one of our listeners. He'll never be an angel or a saint. That's true. But Dottie, he married a plastic surgeon. Actually, he married a radiologist, and, but that's still an MD, and will actually be practicing music therapy in MD in Maryland. Please welcome Greg. Hi, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Hey. How are things going? How are you? Things are good. Um, I'm doing very well. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here with my puppy. She's chewing on her little... Uh, chew toy and it's good it's nice oh, nice nice, after, nice afternoon uh well it is the week of thanksgiving uh do you have any thanksgiving plans yeah we're gonna go down to uh, maryland to see family and how about you uh staying in town seeing family and friends oh. as well oh fun have you seen madame x i have i saw madame x um live and on paramount plus where did you see it when you saw it live so I was one of the people that had Boston tickets and, you know, that entire run was canceled. So we last minute got um, tickets to the Philadelphia show and actually got better seats in Philly than we'd had uh, in you know, scheduled to go to the Boston show. Um, so, you know, we were we drove down and, um, you know, in the middle of the night, we saw Madame X in Philadelphia at the Met. At, in the middle of the night, yeah. Because she in probably didn't start till what, what, like midnight, one o'clock? I think it was like yeah, 12, 12.30. It was really- <laughs> Wow. Did she really just, did she really start at that time? She, her, I think the, um, you know, she had that band that came on and played before she, before she came out. They were, they were doing their, her hits in like a Fado sort of style. That, that was in, uh, that probably started at, 10 30 or 11 wait is, what it was so late i think the show didn't get out till 2 30 maybe three yeah but wait they a band was playing before the show oh yeah so her band the, the band that plays in the photo club right. section played all of her like played her hits like they came out and played who's that girl no vocal no vocal part just they played um the song but on their instruments in the photo club style it was really interesting why do i not know this i don't know did I, it, they, it did not happen in new york oh wow we dicked around for three and a half four hours until she came out like everyone was just going out to the lobby getting drinks coming back <laughs> and just like sitting in the theater just waiting i think there was music playing but it no one came out and performed live music that's awesome it was awesome and I, it took me a while to realize that they were playing her songs. I think I remembered recognizing who's that girl and thinking, okay, I see what they're doing. And then, um, then I was, you know, then I was here for it, but it, it, um, yeah, I mean, maybe That's she realized, yeah, maybe she realized that, uh, you know, it was starting so late that people were getting a little rowdy. Yeah. But that's fun though. Like I, I would have enjoyed that versus just like kind of like the anticipation, like everyone just like she, she probably won't come out till at least ten o'clock. But and then I th I think it was around ten o'clock, maybe it was ten forty-five or something when she started. And well, if you saw New York, then they were still the tickets were still advertising the show for like eight o'clock. Eight o'clock, yeah. Yeah. See, our tickets were changed to say ten. So, oh, okay. You, so you knew not to show up, but, but of course that didn't mean that like Madonna came out at the same time. Of course she still didn't. Then it, it's like, she took the same amount of time to get ready. It's just that then she came out four hours later, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think of the Paramount plus concerts film? Well, you know, I've had a, um, I, I've had a difficult time with the past three tour recordings with the editing it's really fast and sort of um difficult to know what to look at um this show was not as quick as like the rebel heart tour was hard to i mean it, it was like a new outfit in every every three seconds a new, <laughs> a new show. it was it was very strange um mdna as well this was not as much but it was still a little bit quick edits yeah um, the only thing that i mean it, you know i think if people didn't see the show it would be 
it would be perfect for them. For me, I would have loved some more, some backstage, some documentary footage, you know, mm. some, some sort of like behind the scenes, because we know that there was a lot going on um, with her, you know, with her injury, with, you know, her boyfriend, dancer, like there was, there would have been so many interesting things to talk about. So I, um, I would have, I would have liked a little bit of, you know, yeah. a little bit of like the creation, some of the stuff we saw on Instagram, uh, like leading up to it and sort of how the show came together. I think there's, it's always interesting to see a theater production come together and it would have right. been fun to see some of that. I mean, who knows, maybe there's something that they'll, I mean, they released the Q and A, so it'd be nice if there were, I'm sure they recorded um, the, like, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of documentation of the backstage stuff. Did you, um, um did you watch the Madam Extra, the Q and A? Um, no, only the clips because I did like a, sorry, Paramount Plus. I did a free trial for just for Madonna. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> don't apologize. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, there's so many streaming services these days, right? We can only have so many, um. But I did not, I mean, I've seen only like the little clips, you know, here and there that have been posted on Instagram and things like that. Yeah, I, well, I didn't watch it when it was first, when it first came out on Friday and I tried to look for it on Sunday and yesterday. I can't find it. I can't find it. So I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Only, only the stuff that she's posted in her stories. Every once in a while she'll post, you know, um, like one of the the, you know one of the questions and the answers so right but it was supposed to, it was already supposed to be released right now yeah yeah like there's supposed to be the whole special and i can't find it right so right. i don't know if it was only up for one day oh um, yeah so i i mean i've done a search i've done a search for madonna i've done a search for madam x madam extra madam <laughs> madonna madam like i've done every single possible search and i can't find it so um, if anyone out there knows how to find this on Paramount Plus, let me know. But yeah, I, you know, the only thing I would slightly disagree with is I, I don't want to see background. I like, I don't want to see another documentary with only parts of the performance. I'm actually happy that this was an actual concert film. Yeah. Um, just because she's never done that before. She's never put out just like a concert film like this. Right. Right. And, um, it's it's funny that you say like with Rebel Heart she changed her outfits. I had a couple friends over who you know have never really seen a Madonna concert, and they could could not move past. Sometimes she had the eye patch, sometimes she didn't. <laughs> that was driving them crazy. I was like, oh well, then you'll definitely not want to see Rebel Heart. Yeah, I think you know I agree with you that it is nice to have the whole show. I mean, you know, obviously we're all waiting on Blind Ambition, um, but it would be I think. I'm, I think more in terms of like, I mean, in terms of extras, like, you know, the, the Q&A and then maybe a documentary sort of like, a, you know, in addition to the full um, um, concert film would be sort of, you know, a nice little extra. But, you know, it could still happen. Who knows? Although, you know, it, it probably won't because we, in reality, we got all of that by watching her Instagram account. Right. Over the past, and know. I believe there's someone that has taken all of those Instagram clips and put them all together and threw it on YouTube. Yeah, okay. So I think that's somewhere out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, today we are moving into the mid-90s with Madonna's 1994 album, Bedtime Stories. Yes. And I, you know, there's a, there's kind of like this thing where I think like this album was probably a little bit more unappreciated than right. it has been in the more recent years where I think a lot of people are speaking up saying like, well, I, that, I, that actually is a favorite album of mine. And during like quarantine, they did the whole like justice for bedtime stories and made it number one again. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, no, n made it number one for the first time because uh, it was not number one when it first came out. It right. was <laughs> number three, right? Because yeah. it was um, boys to men that hogged the top spot and I don't know what was number two. I think um, it was Snoop Dogg or something. Oh yes, that's right. Because right? yeah. she she talks about that in the, the Noble special, which we'll get right. to in a little bit. The amazing Noble special. Yes. <laughs> um, but what I liked about this album, and, and I'll just say this outright and preface the conversation with this, is like, for me, this is the first record where she wasn't trying to really prove herself anymore. 
So, you know, like with the first album, it's, it's your first album. You got to make a good impression. Second album, she went in a totally different direction and, um, just kind of like expanded this, this sexualized commercialization of herself. And then like with true blue, it was like a whole nother, um, cannonball, like a prayer. It's, it's getting more personal and, you know, erotica. Well, I'm breathless was the cool like movie soundtrack album. And then erotica was kind of like this, I'm going to show you how sexual I can really be and, and shove it in your face. And then this album, just like she kind of just like pulled back. And I don't know, I don't necessarily think it was intentional, but she just like pulled back, wrote some great songs and released like a record. And I feel like it wasn't, it didn't feel as like in your face or forced. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, um, we, we should, we should say uh, that, Wayne and I are are similar. We're a similar age, uh, so we were both in high school. Yes, when this came out. Yep. Um, and I think it's also important. When I was thinking about that, um, I thought that was interesting to note because clearly we were going through. Um, even though we don't know each other, um, you going through a high school experience can be similar no matter where you are. Um, and I, I think that. Um, you know, but especially that time, the, that time in music is important to highlight and to note that it was not cool to like Madonna in 1994. It was, um, it was a difficult time to be a fan because, you know, I mean, just the year prior, I think there was the, a book called the I Hate Madonna Handbook that came yep. out. People in the United States, because she, you know, um, you know, she had just she had toured the girly show, but didn't tour here besides the three cities. So it was very it was very much not really. She had kind of fallen off the radar. Um, in fact, interestingly, I was just my husband and I were recently watching my so called life, um, which is a, for anyone that doesn't know is a TV show with Claire Danes from the mid nineties. And um, there's an ap- episode where the little sister, Claire Danes' little sister, is going to a Halloween party, and the dad says, "Are you going to be Madonna?" And she says, "No, dad." Madonna peaked. So, <laughs> and I, I laughed because I thought, wow, that was what it was like. Now, meanwhile, nobody knew that just four years later, Ray of Light would be another huge peak for Madonna. Yep. But this was an interesting time for Madonna. And yet, like you were just saying, she created a really amazing um, and often very much forgotten um, album with bedtime stories. I think that, you know, after the all of the... Um, you know, Erotica was a very aggressive album. And yes. that, whole peri- that whole period was very aggressive. Um, and I love that period. Um, it was very, but it was very aggressive and very, like you said, uh, in your face, but for a reason, right? It was really um, um, being very pro-sexuality in a time where, you know, it was not, uh, it was not, I mean, you know, AIDS was, um, you know, I mean, there were no medications. I mean, it was just, a, it was just a very, it was not a time, not a lot of artists were being pro-sexuality and certainly not pro-homosexuality. Right. So then by this time, you're right. Like Madonna wasn't, you know, you mentioned she had nothing to prove. I think that she was, um, she just wasn't necessarily feeling the need to be as aggressive or in your face. It's almost like she'd had her, she'd made her statement and now she just wanted to maybe write some music. Right. Although I say I should I should say she was quite um, aggressive in her tone with David Letterman. So like leading up to bedtime stories, obviously she had released uh, I'll Remember uh, from the With Honor soundtrack, and it was a ballad. It was very much sort of like a uh, you know everyone was saying how kind and gentle Madonna had become. Right. Which was, so I mean she'd always been doing ballads. It's not like she didn't have <laughs> ballads, you know throughout her career. But then she kind of flipped everybody on their head again by going on David Letterman. And there was, you know, where she said, fuck 14 times um, and really sort of upset everybody, you know. And um, and then I think people were kind of like, well, what is she going to do next? And then we didn't see her again that until that fall where she did the yeah. video Musical Words with David Letterman. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's go back to I'll Remember. So tell me your thoughts on that song. Like, I, I remember when the song came out, it came on the radio, and I actually didn't know it was Madonna at first. Mm. Um, I think I was in the car with my sister, and my sister's like, do you know who this is? And I'm like, no, who? And she's like, it's Madonna. And I'm like, what? 
like I didn't know she was having a new album come out because I think like the the girly show had just been released on uh VHS I think around mm-hmm. this time maybe mm-hmm. um so when the song came out and I remember the single because the single had the live version of why is it so hard as the b-side right. right um so I remember when the song came out and I will say like I, I like the song but the one thing that annoys me in the song is the piano that, 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 that like that's just one thing that I don't like so I tend to listen to like the William Orbit remix of it when right. I listen to it um it was, I remember when it came, well, actually, sorry, I just was thinking, didn't the single also have Secret Garden on it? Yes. Yep. That, which was interesting because that was a gem off of Erotica. So she right. kind of kept that album a little bit alive there with um, with that. Um, I heard it on the radio on my little boom box. And I think they announced this is the new track by Madonna. And of course, I threw myself in front of my boom box and burst into tears as you know any 14 year old playboy <laughs> did at the time um <laughs> but then i remember it's an interesting story i went i was at um sam goody with my dad and i asked him to buy me the cassette single single mm-hmm. and um he told me no you have to if you want to if you want this then you have to pay for it yourself and i said well, i don't have any money and he said well then get a job oh. and i and I said, but dad, by the time I get a job and get my first paycheck, that won't, it won't still be in stores. It will be like, I won't be able to get it. And he was like, uh, well, tough luck. So I had to, you know, I had to tape it off the radio, um, you know, hit record and play at the same time and wait for the DJ to stop talking. So I could, you know, hear Madonna sing. So um, you never so, got it? Well, I got it later, but you know, um, years later. So I don't know if it was, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't remember when I got the cassette single. I may have ended up, um, I don't know. I may have bought the With Honor soundtrack. Right. Yeah. But anyway, I have it now. So. I remember, um, uh, Justify My Love, the remix single, like when that first came out, um, I wanted to buy it, but I, I can't remember either. I know I didn't have money. And my mom wouldn't buy it for me because she was over me liking Madonna. And yeah. it also had the parental advisory on it. Oh, right. Um, so I just stole it. Oh, my God. <laughs> From Sam well, Woody. Well, listen, <laughs> the, the, I, I, I gave my mom a hard time recently because I said, you know, Mom, you drove me to the um, – this is going back to the erotica days. She, I said, you drove me at the age of 13 to the mall – uh, to Camelot Music um, was an old music store in the mm-hmm. mall, and you bought me the Erotica album, which I think was like kind of wildly inappropriate for you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, so for like a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, but my mom bought it for me. She said, um, you know, she just kind of laughed, but you know, th- I'm really grateful that she did because that you know, life-changing moment, right? Right. So, um, so somehow I ended up with I'll Remember. I must I must have gotten it on cassette somehow. I don't know, but. Um, it was certainly a different sound for her from what had just happened with erotica. Right. And, um, I, I would think that you would think that if you heard the, I'll remember if you, if you're in 1993, is it, did it come out in 93 or 94, early 94, 94. Yeah. um, that you hear this and you might think, Oh, this is a premonition for what, probably the rest of her album might sound like you, mm-hmm. you might hear the similar production or whatever, but no, it wasn't, it was totally different than what you're going to hear in the fall of that year in October when bedtime stories dropped. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it was great because she did have this, like the video was cool and the video for I'll remember is very interesting. And I remember watching this behind the scenes thing. I think it was on VH one or something and I can never find it again, but they they showed like how they did it. Like when she's in the sound booth, that mic and the sound booth that she's in is all green screen. Like oh, yeah. the mic is put it. And I remember thinking like, Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that, you know, people did that yeah. um, for like videos. I knew they did it for movies, but not like this. Um, and, and then she goes on David Letterman with the same kind of like look, except she like slicked back her hair and everything. And, uh, for everyone else's perception, the optics were she made a fool of herself. Right. Um, right. But I think looking back now and, and seeing where woman empowerment has become, 
you kind of look like, well, she held her own and she didn't make David Letterman make a fool out of her. Yeah. You know, I, I never liked David Letterman. Um, growing up, I always thought he was, um, he belittled his guests. I always felt that he belittled his guests mm-hmm. and that he was not really down to earth. Like he always, I mean, even, even how he's sitting, like he sits like up, his seat was higher than hers so he's looking down at her um, the whole interview. And I always felt that he was, I don't know, I never liked him anyway. So that, that, <laughs> inter- that interview for me, I mean, it had funny moments where she asks him if his hair is a, a, a rug. And then he says, well, what is that, a swim cap? Yeah. I mean, those, those were cute. But I think, I think that they were actually, I, don't, I think he actually really does have respect for Madonna and, and likes her. But for like me, I felt very defensive of her at the time. In fact, I felt defensive of her all around, not just in that interview, but in general. I mean, I felt like I was always defending Madonna to people. Um, when I was in, I don't know, seventh grade, eighth grade. No, never mind. I had to be older, like ninth grade. I remember I had, my, I had my Walkman on and somebody asked me what I was listening to. And I said, Madonna. And they were like, oh. And I remember saying, you know, I, having to really defend her. And, and um, that was just the time though, right? That was the time. And yeah. with, with the David Letterman interview, uh, interview people... Um, really, like you said, people really turned on her. They were kind of like, oh, she was, you know, she, the she sex goes book, again. Yeah, it was too much. She's all sex, sex, sex. And, um, you know, now she's going to curse all these times. And can't she just shut up and go away? And um, so, you know, and interestingly, you know, that, that interview, um, they did not mention, and then that was uh, March 31st of 94. But, just earlier that month, I think March 8th, I'll remember had come out and it was a big hit. I mean, it was a huge yeah. hit. Um, and interestingly, it was a very big adult contemporary hit. So this same artist who was on the adult contemporary charts, right, was also saying fuck 14 times on the David Letterman show. Um, it was quite a um, it was quite a juxtaposition between the the two. And I think people weren't quite sure what to make of Madonna in early 1994 and what was going to come next. Yeah. And I mean, I've always, I always, at least I think I liked David Letterman. I, I kind of have like a different view where I feel like she tended to like him more and went on his show more just because I think she liked being pushed because she likes to be challenged. And Mm -hmm. he did that for her versus uh, a host that will sit there and kiss her ass for you know the fifteen minutes that they're usually on there. Oh, I agree. I th- I think she likes him. I think she likes him very much. Um, I just I just personally didn't like him. And I like how she commandeered the entire show. Like there were supposed to be other guests, and they ended up having to be rebooked because she wouldn't leave. <laughs> yeah. And I don't I don't know. I just. Um, I thought she held her own very, very well in that episode, especially looking back now. I thought it was humorous at the time. Like I was laughing my ass off because I, they had this back and forth that, you know, every time he had a response to something, she had a response. And every time she had a response to something, he had a response. So it was like this, this cycle of never ending, just kind of like jabs at each other. Um, And I just thought it was like a really fun. And then, we didn't really see Madonna again until bedtime stories, except when we saw her a few times at like basketball games, she became obsessed with going to basketball games and dating Dennis Rodman. And, um, you know, she, she, she just, and I think she was dating Tupac at the time too, but no one really knew that, um, until afterwards, but like, yeah, she just kind of went on this. I mean, I don't, know if it was I don't know like what was going on like in her life at that point you know I think she was I think she was looking for what am I going to do next in my life you know usually they always ask the question where do you see yourself in five years I think she was like figuring that out in that moment which she tends to always do I just think we started seeing her more out in public especially at a basketball game where they're usually televised so we got to see a lot of her on screen. And during this whole era, during the 94, 95 era, we saw her, she was in a lot of places, even though this album was more of a, 
your kind of like typical record release. She was everywhere. She was on magazine covers. She was um, doing interviews. She was in fashion shows. She was in movies, even for like these small parts. And um, it really just like, for me, set her trajectory of how important she was in our culture, regardless of, of how much backlash and how everyone was already canceling her. So I think it was kind of humorous that, you know, we still saw her everywhere. Yeah. And I also think it's important to note too, that press coverage at the time and, and media, media, um, sort of media intrusion into celebrities lives was growing like yeah. really it was becoming very intrusive and really kind of around the clock i mean this was you know in the years leading up to princess diana's death and um and all of the the way the press was just like hounding celebrities really um so yeah and she was she was everywhere and it was all documented i mean this you know the tabloids were were really still loving her, even if they lo- were enjoying saying how her career was over, they were in effect keeping her career going by just putting her on the front cover of their magazines. And, exactly. Right. And, you know, um, but, you know, so, so I was starting to talk a little bit earlier about how this was, a, a, not only was this a, a difficult time to be a Madonna fan because people had soured on her, it was also a strange time for music because between 1990, 1990 and 1994, um, music had grown very, I mean, the real popular styles at the time were um, like gangster rap, you know, and hip hop and R&B and grunge, you know, alternative rock. This was what was like, these were the two sort of main styles going on um, in music. And really, I remember, and Wayne, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts about this, but I remember feeling like there was this understanding that people who had been stars in the eighties were has-beens washed up, you know, shove them to the side and let's move forward into the nineties with these new artists, except for maybe like Janet Jackson, who, you know, was able to sort of easily move into the nineties. Absolutely. And I think that, um, I would also, argue that adult contemporary was really big in the mm-hmm. early nineties as well, like that mm-hmm. early to mid nineties. And so, yeah, anyone that was an eighties, 80 star, you had to like reprove yourself and, um, have a comeback, so to speak. And right. uh, I mean, Janet did that. So Janet is one of those people that she had to do something very drastic to make a comeback. So yeah. she had had so much success with rhythm nation. Like it had, seven number one singles, all these videos, but she had a very specific look um, when she was promoting that album. So like when she came out with her Janet album, it was this totally different Janet and it was, you know, a totally new, totally new Janet. And I think the same thing happened with like Prince even um, where I think, uh, well, with his whole record dispute stuff, like people started for some reason were turned off by that. They were, yeah, and I always find it, I, I find it funny now. Like people are are obsessed with like Taylor Swift re-recording her her albums. It's like Prince was already do, starting to do that because he couldn't oh, yeah. get his masters back oh, yeah. um, from Warner Brothers. And so I, you're right. Like anyone that was in the '80s, like everyone had to reinvent themselves in some sort of way. But see, right. Madonna already was doing that in her career. So this was just like her turning another page and people were still paying attention. She didn't have to do anything very drastic. And I think that's, that's kind of ironic where um, a lot of these has, so to speak, has beens had to do something to make people pay attention to them. And all Madonna had to do, so to speak, is put her clothes back on and people paid attention. Well, I think she had to, I think she had to sort of like, um, I think it was kind of drastic what she had to do in a way because she had sort of erotica actually in that time and that sound of that album kind of stands by itself. It doesn't necessarily fit into the um, any particular styles of the, I mean, you know, there's, there's those early nineties sort of like CNC music factory sounds and things, yeah. and it doesn't really fit into that, but it doesn't, it also, um, you know, it was a, just a different kind of style, but I think Madonna she had to prove that not only was she still around to make a comeback sort of 
she had to reinvent herself and make people not hate her, right? She had to like make people like her again. And I think I'll remember was a um, a good way to sort of dip her toe back in the water. Like you mentioned Janet with Rhythm Nation. Um, yeah, Janet had to reinvent herself, but people didn't leave the Rhythm Nation period hating Janet Jackson and writing horrible, disparaging True. things about her in the newspapers, right? So she just had to, she was able to put something out, change her style, and thankfully, you know, it took. With Madonna, I think if she had put out another album like Erotica, it probably, despite the fact that I love Erotica, it probably would have been a nail in her, you know, in the coffin of her, you know, so to speak, of her career. I think that she said, all right, well, what do I need to do for a, you know, what should I do now to have like a hit? And I think I'll remember sort of was a, you know, the way to go, sort of dip into that adult contemporary um, ballad market. That- so do you think kind of like the I'll remember bedtime stories was more intentional? I don't think that it was like, oh, let me record this kind of an album because R&B music is really popular right now. I Because actually Madonna had done R&B sounds like all the way back to her first album. So mm-hmm. it's not like, I mean, it was very organic for her um, and very, I don't think she was necessary. I don't think she was chasing the trends of the time. I think she was just making the kind of music that she wanted to make and choosing right. the music that she, um, unlike Hard Candy later, but you know, don't get me started. Oh, don't that. get me started. <laughs> <laughs> That is a whole different thing. I, I can't even talk about Justin Timberlake. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get into the album because I know we've just been talking about just that era in general. So yeah. let's um, let's go ahead and get into the album itself. She she had a new image. She uh, had shortish white curly hair, a nose ring, a belly button ring, um, and then she she gave us when she premiered the album or gave us the first single, it was Secret. Um, so, But what I like to do is, as we talk about the album, let's just go track by track and start with track one. Survival. I'll never be an angel. <laughs> I'll never be a saint. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love this song. I love it. I think that it's, um, it was, you know, survival was a really interesting new sound for her. I mean, people, like you mentioned earlier, like, did people think that I'll remember was going to be a sort of, um, uh, like indicative of what her new sound was going to be in 1994? Well, it certainly was not because this was going in a very different direction. This very, um, subtle, um, very smooth kind of like R&B sound. It was very, um, it was very sexy, very new for her. Yeah. I, the opening beats to this album sets the, it seriously sets the tone for the entire yeah. record. Cause you, it's not like there's only two places in the entire record where she kind of deviates from this kind of R&B sound. Um, and that's we'll get to the survival and the bedtime stories later. But this survival is probably it. I don't know if it stood out to me. At, I think it always stood out to me, but I don't think it became the standout track for me until like later in life for me, mm-hmm. um, where it just has this this great hook, great verses, and honestly, there's not a lot of verses in it. She repeats the. Uh, the first verse as the second verse. Um, and it kind of, and you get to hear Donna and Nikki singing. Yes. Which they're, they're very prominent on this song. And I think even in previous songs that they've been in, you hear them, but you don't really hear them. And in this one, you hear them. It's, it's almost like you can envision them in the recording studio together or envision them like on stage together singing the song. Yeah. Yeah, very prominent, and it would have worked really well had there been a Bedtime Stories tour, which we could talk about our thoughts about that later, but yeah. And she references herself for the, for you know, I mean, she had referenced herself in um, Deeper and Deeper. She had referenced Vogue, but here she says the lyric, I'm going to be living to tell, uh, which obviously is a reference to her 1986 song, Living Live to Tell. So I think um, it was nice to see some, her be a little self-referential. Yeah, I think it's a great start to the um, to the album, and um, you know, as we start to talk about 
the singles choices that she made for the album. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this, but I kind of feel like uh, this would have made a good single in some ways, but I'll, but I'll get back to that. This was interesting because this was a non-confrontational response to the critics yeah. uh, versus a song that comes later on this album, which is an extremely confrontational response to the critics. <laughs> so we'll get to that though, right? And what's funny about that is that opens up the second side to the cassette right? and or the flip side on the record. It's, right. it's like, it's, this is her more calm intro to the record right. and then right. human nature becomes her more aggressive yeah. uh, opening to the second yeah. side. Um, but the second track, which was the first single is secret. Oh. And it's a beloved track by all the fans. I don't know if there's anyone that I've heard that hates this song in the video. We get the video for it, which is a black and white video. Melanie McDaniels. Is it McDaniel or McDaniels? McDaniel. Okay. Is it? Okay. Um, Melody. Melody. (laughs) Melody McDaniel. Uh, And then if you've seen the Natalie Merchant video, Carnival, Carnival. she did the same. It's the same kind of treatment for the video. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a lovely video. Madonna's hair is this beautiful blonde uh, color. It actually, originally, her hair was supposed to be much tighter curls, um, and they ended up changing that look, um, you know, like, last minute, I guess. They wanted something a bit softer looking. Yeah. But when you Google Madonna's secret video, you, there's there's some still shots of, of the hair and the tight blonde curls. Right. I, I know which one you're talking about. And and just to kind of cu- go backwards a little bit, the cover of the album itself, it's a very soft Madonna. And there was actually supposed to be a different cover to the album. Um, so the cover was done by Patrick DeMarclier. My pronunciation of people's names are going to annoy <laughs> people, I'm sure. Um, but he did this cover. And I don't know who did the other one, but it was used for a a special edition vinyl version of bedtime story single yeah. where it's like, she's laying down and she kind of looks, she almost looks dead essentially. Yeah. And yeah. that's why um, the record company did not like it and said, go back and do some reshoots. And she did. And I, I mean, I think it's a very simple album cover. It's, it's good. And are you a fan of the upside down or the right side up Madonna? Um, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't know. I think when I bought it, it was right side up. I bought the CD. It was right side up. So I didn't realize until much later that it was supposed to be, was it supposed to be upside? It was supposed to be upside down. Girl, I don't know. Like I, there's been so much like fan discussion about, well, it was originally released upside down and you know, like people are like, no, it's not. And then some people are like, well, in some countries it was, in some countries it wasn't and re-releases it was, and then in re-releases it wasn't. It's like, I think the intention is the upside down one. And I'm using air quotes for that because the photograph is taken right side up. It's just that she's laying backwards, like at the foot of a bed. And, um, and that's kind of like the cover. And then, you know, it was flipped around to be the album cover. And, uh, either way, she looks great in it. It's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful, um, shoot for the bedtime stories album. I mean, it was, first of all, the CD itself, whether or not you have the right side up or the upside down, it's gorgeous. The CD itself had a blue, like a powder blue tray, which I had never seen. I mean, later there were editions that had a white tray, but the blue was just stunning. And then her look was this sort of like, if you, like, it was almost grungy, but very, um, like a beautiful, like a glamorous kind of grunge. Like her, her dark eye makeup. She had her nose pierced. Um, it was just a beautiful look for her and very soft. Yeah. Um, she was laying on like, wasn't it like a teal kind of bed? Yeah, like, it was like a teal, teal bedspread, yeah. quilted bedspread. Um, the, the, the image I always like the most is, I think it's the one where she's holding like a martini glass and I don't think it's in the... Um, I don't think it's in the album artwork. It's it's one of those outtake pictures, right? Um, where she's and I actually think any of these pictures could have been used as the cover, and it would have been it would have been amazing. 
Agreed. There's also another photo that wasn't used in the album, which was her with a white background smoking a cigarette. Yes. Yep. And I love that image because it's sort of, it, she looks sort of, um, it has that sort of almost grungy look, but she's still so glamorous, even though she's got the cigarette. It's just a, it's a, it's her, a really. Yeah. A, her hair is all slicked back and mm-hmm. she, her, she's kind of like turned to the side, but she's like looking back. And I think that was used to promote the single, like in like Rolling Stone, you'd see that image um, where they would promote like, get the new single or get the new album by Madonna. Or um, I remember seeing a poster of it at one of of my local record stores. Yeah, great cover. I love that they used the blue tray. And I remember buying a used copy Mm -hmm. with the blue tray just so I could use it as the tray in Immaculate Collection. Because I was oh, like, yeah. oh, let me let me get an extra one so I can make it a, a blue cover. And I think I always wanted um, – and I never did this, and I don't know why, but uh, one of the En Vogue singers, Terry Ellis, mm-hmm. she released her own album, and it had a pink tray. And I remember wanting to buy oh. that just so I could take the tray and have another Bedtime Stories with a pink tray. Yeah, that'd be But great. I never did that. Right. So now that's my that's my mission. Um, yeah. Before Christmas, <laughs> I'm going to go to the used record store and see if I can find Terry Ellis with the pink tray. That's great. It's a great idea. You know, Secret was was a big hit all over the world. At number three in the USA, number five in the UK. I mean, it was a big hit, and it actually um, it was promoted online. Did you, it was promoted with this online message because the internet yes. was just happening, you know, yep. and and she was kind of like welcome to the 90s version of intimacy or something yep and that's how she premiered the track and i think they did like 15 seconds of it because in those days to upload or download or stream any sort of media basically took all of your internet resources and your computer resources because it's such a large thing and if you want it to sound good you either have to upload a wave file um the mp3s did not exist yet and streaming wasn't like a big thing because in order to play it like on a website, you'd have to upload it to a server and that takes up so much space on a server. I mean, now these days, I mean, you know, it's, you, people don't even like think about that type of stuff, but you know, anything that's on Spotify or Apple music or anything like that stuff has to sit somewhere on some like data, data warehouse. That's in probably some remote area of the U S or another country where these files have to sit on this hard drive so that you can listen to them. Mm-hmm. And just think that like in order to get 15 seconds of a song on the internet was such a huge deal back then. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. There was two videos for secret because they also decided to release the Donnarama remix video with that, which used different angles and different shots. Um, and it's probably it's it's uses the Junior Vasquez remix, which is probably I don't I think that's like one of my favorite remixes. Like I could I could listen to either. I could listen to the regular version of Secret or I could listen to the remix, and they feel like two different songs to me. Yeah, yeah, they did. And the well, and then it also the the single. This was her first time really doing what would end up becoming a real um, staple in her. Uh, songs which is the humming you know yeah. she hums in the song and um and also which you know she of course she later does with uh frozen and um the other thing is this sort of like acoustic guitar that was the other thing when the song starts it starts with an acoustic guitar and then and then just her voice which um was the first time that we really heard that from her i mean that later came back sort of with american life there was a lot of um acoustic guitar but and and music, I think um, it was it was just a very different sound for her. And again, this was the first song that was played of Madonna's on the radio since I'll Remember. So I'll Remember had been in the spring, and then I think this was September um, that this started getting played, and it was a totally different sound for her. Yeah. And yeah, uh, and around this time, of course, you know, when an album is is being released and the single comes out, she does a few interviews. Um, one of the interviews that stands out to me is the Ruby Wax interview. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> what to say about this? Um, Ruby Wax is insane. She's, I mean, she's a comedian, right? And 
she what or she, I really don't know that much about her because the only interview I've ever seen is the Madonna one. But I know she was a comedian that started doing television interviews, and it was cute. Like I thought it was like two girls chatting, and I think like Ruby Wax kept up the energy, and Madonna was very responsive to that. Ruby Wax has later gone on and done like has done like TED talks where she talks about it's the worst interview she's ever done, and Madonna hates her. And um, she didn't have control over it. Like Ruby didn't have control over the interview. It's like, yeah, girl, because you were off the wall, like putting on her clothes, like taking clothes out of her suitcase and putting them on. Yeah. It's like, I, I mean, I could see why you are embarrassed by that interview because she did a lot of embarrassing things like putting Madonna's crotchless panties on her head. And, ex- <laughs> you know, I, I, I just don't know. You know, she uses that as an example to try to like talk to businessmen about selling stock or something like that. It's it's just so ridiculous how she looks back on it. But when I watch the interview, I feel like she's having a lot of fun and Madonna's being very responsive to it. And Madonna's answering all her questions. She's not like shying away. Um, what are your thoughts on that interview? It's a very quirky, weird, weird interview. But I think interestingly, Ruby Wax treats it as though it was this real low point in her career. But I think that most Madonna fans actually kind of like that interview because it's like you said, it's like two girlfriends chatting on the bed and Ruby Wax asks her a lot of questions that nobody else was asking her at the time. I mean, she, they talk about getting older and, you know, she tells her to give in to age cause you still have talent. And, um, you know, they talk about the, um, I guess they're at the Ritz hotel in Paris and they talk about princess Diana and the, and the, you know, the press sort of intrusion, like the, the bugging of the phones. And I mean, it's just, in, it's just an interesting interview. I think that Ruby Wax, like you said, she, she was, um, she later, I think, talks to these insurance brokers or something in, in 2009. Yeah. She, was, she talks about how it was like the worst thing because she could have made a sale and I'm using air quotes and making a sale <laughs> would be like saying the right thing so that Madonna would want to like talk to her but I think that Madonna to buy insurance from her, <laughs> like, yeah, like you're exactly. not selling insurance. You're just doing an interview. <laughs> right. And I, and I think ultimately it was actually a very interesting interview. Um, but, and I think it's the first interview where we see the fake, fake, fake fur. That she, <laughs> it's a very fake in, fur. In take up from take about, um, from the noble video. She but dabs I, her nose with. Dabs her runny nose with. <laughs> Um, but I, yeah, I Ruby Wax, I, it's a strange interview, but I think it really kind of, when you Google it and you watch it, it's very much a moment in, in this time. And it's a, it's a, it's sort of a little time capsule. So yeah. I think Ruby Wax needs to stop hating on it and embrace it because Madonna fans don't hate her for it. They just think she's a little bit weird, but like, you know, that makes it an interesting interview. Exactly. And like Madonna let her go into her purse and her luggage and, Madonna's typically not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. She's typically a very private person, very reserved when it comes to interviews. She might relax to um, let someone be a little bit more, more introspective of her and gets her to be more revealing. But in this one, Madonna didn't have to like try hard. She could just respond to the questions and and in a very conversational way and like, oh yeah, let's look what's in my purse. And sure, here's my chapstick and here's... Um, my crotchless panties, like, but you know, and she wasn't embarrassed by anything either. And I feel like Ruby feels embarrassed by this interview because you, she was intrusive, but it also made it, like you said, it's a very fun interview and I enjoyed watching it. I didn't get any. And the only reason why I think anything of it now is because Ruby wax has gone on to tell these like sorted tales of, of all these interviews that she's done and how horrible they were. Um, but well, but interestingly, she doesn't talk – she's not necessarily saying anything bad about Madonna herself. True. She, she's blaming herself right. for that interview. Um, and I think that what I think that interview, actually, what she sh- really needs to do, like I was saying she, earlier, she needs to embrace it because she made a very – it's a unique interview. Nobody else would behave in the way – like Ruby Wax has talked about how she was really intimidated by Madonna, but you would never know that watching the interview. You would think that she's – holding her own. She's asking whatever questions she wants to ask. She's putting her panties on her head. I mean, nobody else was doing that, you know? Right. No one else would dare. No. 
And Madonna reacted really well to it. Like she was talking to like a girlfriend or something. Yeah. It was reminiscent almost of like Donna and Nikki and Madonna sitting in bed, um, you know. Right. Talking about, yeah. you know, in Truth or Dare, right? Talking about, um, it's not about being the greatest singer or dancer. That scene, it's very similar to that. Like some girlfriends just chit-chatting in, in their bedroom. And Madonna was more, I thought, more honest than yeah. she is in a lot of other interviews. I mean, she was asked about Warren Beatty and she answered. Right. And she's never done that before. Like, she, usually if you ask someone about an ex, they're like, I'm not going to talk about that. But right. Madonna was very forthcoming. And Ruby, sh- Ruby, you should be proud of that interview. Like, it's it's very fun. You you did what you knew how to do at the time. Stop, yes, Ruby. Stop dwelling on it. Stop trying to sell insurance with it. Like, <laughs> Yes. If, if anyone out there is listening to this who knows Ruby Wax, contact her and tell her, embrace this interview. Madonna fans like it, and you were a badass, and, you know. Yeah. And she didn't, and she didn't say fuck 14 times. <laughs> I don't even think she said any curse words. So she didn't. There you go. There you go. But now that we've got off track, let's get back on track and, and – um, go through the rest of the album. So the third track is I'd Rather Be Your Lover, which uh, features Michelle and Degula Cello, who was a new artist at the time, signed to Maverick. Um, And that's where we'll come back to Tupac, because Tupac originally recorded a rap verse for this song. Um, But I think it ended up getting scrapped. I, I don't know the entire reasoning. I'm assuming it's because of Tupac's reputation right he was a a gangster rapper um probably did not want to be associated with you know pop music at the time yeah you know i don't know i think that um i think that there was based on some of those letters right that were sold what was that didn't some former assistant steal letters and auction them off like two years ago or something yeah there was a whole idea that you know it would it would not I guess Tupac Shakur had um, people around him saying it wouldn't, you know, be a good look for him to right. be dating a rich white lady. Um, so, but I, I, I think that they, you know, I like the version with him, with his rap. I think it's very, um, see, and that's interesting, isn't it? That's again, also a sign of the times. I mean, in 2021, I mean, you know, nobody would, I mean, he could rap on her track and people wouldn't say, have anything, well, they might have something to say about it, but who cares? Um, <laughs> 1994, I mean, that was something that people like really had to worry about. And because it was like these differing styles, like this sort of like gangster rap versus Madonna, who was like a pop star of the 80s coming into the 90s. I mean, it was very different. So I guess it wasn't considered um, something that was going yeah. to be acceptable. And I think it would, it, and probably in, in Tupac's and in, in his, uh, people's image is more of like you're you're doing something that you rap that when you speak in your music you talk against kind of against commercialization against um old rich white ladies <laughs> well she's not I, I let me take that back she wasn't old at this time but i think that was oh, yeah. people's perception is that right. she's a, a rich old white lady who makes pop music and sells a bunch of records and I think that was like the image that was out there. And it wasn't because I think as far as like, if maybe they did a, a collaboration during erotica, it probably wouldn't look as bad as like now her coming out with this kind of um, what yeah. some people perceived as like an apology record. Yeah. Maybe if he, but well, yeah, maybe if he had done the song, did you do it? It would have been better. <laughs> than that Jesus. trash that was on Jesus. that album. <laughs> but, you know, interestingly, it, it's funny. Like He was not considered um, appropriate or whatever, whatever reason, you know, that it was not, it didn't work, that he wasn't on the album. Yet, but yet Michelle and Degiocello was a bisexual artist who at the time, nobody seemed to think anything, you know, I guess they didn't w- worry about that. And yeah. the fact that the song has lyrics like, I could be your mother, I could be your sister, I could, I'd rather be your lover, whole thing. I mean, there are like little nuances of bisexuality in the song itself. Mm-hmm. So it actually having uh, Michelle and Cello on there was it also a brave and interesting choice. Yeah. Well, I also think it was like, how can I promote this, this person that I believe in that I just signed to my label too, right. um, which I actually like her verse in it too. I, I, it's hard to say that I prefer it over Tupac's only because I only knew the, 
Michelle won for so long before the Tupac one ended up getting leaked. So right. it's almost like, well, I like the Tupac one, but it's also a threat to my nostalgia of of <laughs> the original track. So right. I don't I I don't know. I of course like when I'm listening to the album, I'm just gonna listen to the album version. I'm not gonna um try to find the Tupac one to listen to, but it's it's right. very interesting to hear his rap too. Um I don't have it in front of me, but he mentioned something like blonde ambition, and I thought that was really cool because it was referencing, you know, Madonna's one of her larger tours, but also you know a play on words and everything. Right, right. Yeah, um, it's a it's a uh, either way, it's a good song, and um, I think they were both uh, interesting choices to do a cameo. And at the time, that's another thing. I mean, not a lot of people were doing cameo. I mean, notice how it's not, it's not Madonna featuring Michelle and Deggio Cello. Right. Or, I mean, they didn't do that at the time. That was something that started, I think Mariah started that in like <laughs> a couple years later with um, her, what was it? Butterfly or that album. But yeah. like people didn't do featuring all the time. It was like, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. I have to go back to like a prayer. I mean, it wasn't even like Madonna featuring Prince or duet with Prince. I mean, his name wasn't even on the sleeve. You know, it's interesting how now it's always featuring somebody, but back then it wasn't. Right. Sorry, I got us thrown off. I I brought us back to 1989 with Like a Prayer. (laughs) Oh, you're fine. Uh, But the next track, Don't Stop, I think when I first heard this record, it was actually my favorite song of the record, my favorite like fast-moving track, because I kind of equated it to the dance song of the record. Like it was... It was this album's version of Vogue. I actually don't think that anymore. Um, it's actually probably my least favorite track on the album now, and I don't know why. I just think it's maybe it's because the the lyrics are very repetitive. Yeah. Um, it's still got a great groove. It's still something. I mean, when I listen to the album, I always listen. I don't skip it or anything like that. But it just doesn't. For me, it's it's not the strongest track on the album for me anymore. Yeah, it's almost like a, 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 you know, it comes 10 years after she had done over and over on like a virgin. It's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, get up, keep going, um, you know, except here she's telling somebody else to do it. Whereas right. over and over she was t- saying what she gets up and over and over again. I th- I agree with you. I think um, I think that it's, um, it's repetitive, uh, but I think actually had it been released as a single, it would have been a hit for her back in 90. 90- and that I, I agree with. I would agree yeah. with that. I think of like if this came out, and then of course some like remixes came out of it. Um, it would be, it would probably be a top dance song for sure, yeah. no doubt. I mean, I I think that in the United States, it should have been released as a single instead of Bedtime Story, and um, but Bedtime Story should, still should have been released in Europe because it was a huge hit over there, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but. I think Don't Stop would have been, but Bedtime Story, the song fizzles in America, um, whereas this song would have been a hit. I think with, you know, just a cool, like, laid back video, um, I think it would have been a, a pretty big hit for her. So, but, you know, I mean, that's okay. When you listen to the album, it's still fun. It's 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 still a, it's still a, a bop. Yep, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So the next track is Inside of Me, which I think when I saw the track listing, and you see the title of this track, I'm thinking like, oh, I guess she hasn't given up her erotica roots. Right, <laughs> like a sequel to Where Life Begins. Yeah, um, but it's not. It's actually a song about her mother. Yeah. Um, and it's actually, I it's one of my favorite songs on the record. I love the way she sings it in this very breathy, uh, I, I want to say high pitch, but not really, I, I don't mean high pitch. It's just like, it's, it's, it's just a very gentle way of her singing that you haven't heard her sing before, especially for a ballad. I think she's singing it as a little girl. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. That's always how it's, I, I always thought that she took on a character of a little girl in this song and that's how she's singing it. That's actually a very, uh, that's actually a better way of describing it is just like a little girl singing about her mom. I keep a picture of you next to my bed at night. Yeah. And I, and she does. I mean, if you've ever seen, I, there are a couple times when her room has been photographed or um, something, you always see a picture of her mother. Whenever you see inside of her house and there's pictures everywhere, there's always a picture of her mother there. 
Well, even in even in like music videos, like when she did Ghost Town and she's playing the, this post-apocalyptic sort of like um, shelter, you know, that she's living in. Yeah. There is a photo of her mom on the table. And I thought, that, I mean, that attention to detail, I mean, I guess that's something that's very important to her to have that picture of her mom. Always, yeah. Yeah. So I love this song. Inside of me has always, to me, been a very one of her most intimate moments. Um, I think this album is very intimate in general, but that song um, is extremely intimate and very warm, and um, it's great. Which um, makes it all the more jarring when the next song starts. Mm-hmm. 